Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Daily Objective. Uh, today, it's just me and Daniel. How's it going, Daniel? What do you mean, just uh, us? It's just, You said it well, for no. the second time. No, well, I'm not, it's you, just you and me. I don't know. We work here. I don't know. Just you and me. Anyway, <laughs> how's it? Are you okay? Aside from having just been offended, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Very good. Okie doke. Uh, so today we're talking a bit about Anthony Blinken and some comments that he just made um, literally, I think, just a few hours ago at a security conference in Munich uh, on a stage with the foreign minister for Germany and then his equivalent from India as well. Uh, and particularly, the title is focusing on some comments he made uh, suggesting that Israel has a unique opportunity to integrate into the Middle East and to normalize relations. And I know you had uh, something to say about that, Daniel. So why don't you tell me your perspective on his comments there? Uh, well, we can cover this fully maybe later in the episode. But yeah, Sure. the, and this was even mentioned during, this was not mentioned specifically by Blinken, but uh, I think the uh, German representative there, uh, she was talking about how they basically the best time to implement some sort of, or to discuss some sort of two-state solution was after the October 7, when Israel would have some sort of sympathy. And there was a meeting in Cairo, uh, just, uh, uh, I'm not sure how long, maybe a week after October 7, but basically a lot of Arab nations pretty much refused to call October 7 a terrorist attack, which pretty much meant that no such agreement, no such potential future could be made. Uh, so we have this reference uh, where Arab nations right after October 7th are refusing to call for uh, refusing to basically condemn Hamas and describe that attack as a terrorist attack on Israeli civilians. And on the other hand, Israel should want to integrate in this Middle Eastern society that pretty much encourages. I mean, what else is it? If you don't condemn such attacks, what else are you doing than encouraging it? So you have this sort of And uh, pretty much the whole, almost all my points are going to be made about this sort of, not a double standard, but, uh, you know, on one hand you have this, on the other hand you have this. Uh, but what did you think about, uh, what do you think So about I, th this statement then? yeah, I, well, I guess generally I thought um, this was actually quite an interesting uh, kind of stage interview that they did. And I, and it's one that people should go watch. Normally this kind of thing, you know, you hear some secretary of states make some comments at a security conference. Uh, it sounds really dull, but it was actually quite revealing. And actually, in a sense, the German foreign minister's statements were almost more revealing than Blinken's. And she would kind of make quite revealing statements and then he would kind of, Uh, jump on the back of those. Um, and if we're good philosophical detectives, like Rand sort of enjoins us to be, I think actually her comments and then his piggy, piggybacking on those comments is quite revealing. Um, and so then what do I make of his his comments about normalizing relations? Was that what you were asking about? Uh, well, yeah, and the whole idea of, uh, I mean, yeah, th this is basically Israel integrated into Middle East means normalizing relations with pretty much all nations in the Middle East. Yeah. So I, I guess I didn't like the emphasis of it in the sense that, um, and I, and I, and I don't like the emphasis of the whole idea of is Israel who has the onus of normalization on them, if that makes sense, because, um, it's, it's Israel's Arab neighbors who have to come up to Israel's level rather than Israel. That's the sort of odd one out who has to fit in with the rest of them by, by, fit, you know, fitting in with them, adjusting to their standard, whatever. Um, so I didn't like the emphasis in a sense, but at the same time, Um, I guess, uh, how did I think about it? There was a way in which I, I guess I understood, uh, 
um, the desire in a way, for, at least from an Israeli perspective, in the sense that, okay, it's not like you're going to treat these neighbors like they're suddenly your allies, but if you can at least get it so that they're, they're no longer hostile to you, if that's what's meant by normalization, you know, whether I like the emphasis or not, I kind of, I can kind of see that the the purpose of that or, or why that would be useful. Um, did you understand it that way or did you take it slightly differently? Uh, well, this is the thing I'm wondering about, about these normal, because we've seen in past, I mean, uh, I think, I think it was Trump who is always praised for, uh, there was some multilateral treaty, uh, but it was with nations that pretty much have no real influence. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly what it was. Uh, but there were like small nations in the Middle East that like normalized or like recognized Israel. And it's, I mean, sure, it's good to see, but I don't really care, uh, especially with this more, I mean, honestly, backward nations. I, I, I don't see any benefit for Israel by those nations recognizing them. And as long as, uh, and this was actually a question that was brought up from the audience uh, about uh basically the refusal for designating iran as the main enemy or the revolutionary guard i think specifically she said um and yeah as as long as iran like any sort of even if you were to normalize relations iran has to be there and i don't think it's good to normalize relations relationships with iran iran the Iranian regime has to be brought down, but any sort of treaty that doesn't involve Iran or that doesn't resolve Iran um, is pretty much. I I don't see much point in it. I mean, Iran has is the main antagonist there, and something has to be done. Yes, and um, it's certainly the case that if normalizing relations means normalizing relations with Iran or accepting Iran's continued existence in the region or so on and so forth or or treating Iran as just a kind of friendly ally then yeah well, I think just quickly maybe not even Iran but even nations like Qatar who pretty mm -hmm. much host Hamas terrorists I mean what sort sure. of or uh, and I don't know how Israel's relations specifically are with Turkey and Lebanon but even those nations hosted actual yeah. Hamas leaders what uh, how can you have like normal relations with such countries sure I, I definitely see that and um it's definitely the case that i i thought it was there was something that chimed a bit weird about blinken's comments when he said um all the arab nations in the middle east want normalization of relations with israel and it, and i guess a lot turns on what exactly counts as normalization um but it, it if that means completely peaceful relations and not treating Israel as a hostile actor, it's not clear at all, actually, that a lot of those nations really want that. Um, maybe they do some things to that effect for some of them, but then at other times they do things which are completely counter to that. Um, so yeah, so I so I agree to that extent as well. Um, but there were some other interesting things I thought they had to say also. Um, was there anything more you wanted to say on that particular uh, point? Well, or? I have a couple of points, but that depends uh, on where you go now. So uh, go and I'll... And I'll step in if uh, if I have something. Uh, <laughs> okay. I well, I no, but no, go on. Uh, tell me, tell uh, me what you thought. Well, just a couple of comments he made, and yeah, I mentioned it earlier about how, it, like, so basically, Blinkett came out again as saying, uh, you know, United States are fully behind Israel's right to self-defense, 
And mm -hmm. I think even other panelists recognize it. He recognized October 7 was a uh, yeah, uh, terrorist attack on the Israeli civilians and something had to be done. But immediately he went to, uh, you know, that ha we have to make sure civilians' lives are spared as much as possible. We have to establish civ uh, humanitarian corridors. We have to establish some sort of humanitarian aid, make, make sure to only attack Hamas. Yeah. Um, and I was actually interested uh, if his position changed at all. So I looked up to uh, one of the articles from October 12th, so just a couple of days after October 7th. And uh, to his credit, uh, his position uh, had stayed pretty much the same. Uh, maybe I can bring up a couple of points. Uh, yeah, so the first thing he said, the message that I bring to Israel is this. You may be strong enough on your own to defend yourself, but as long as America exists, you will never, ever have to. Uh, uh, then he also said, there is no excuse, there is no justification for this atrocity. This is, this must be a moment for moral clarity. And I mm. wish this actually was a moment for moral uh, clarity for people like Blinken. Uh, yeah, uh, I, so so I'll just say, um, I think if people go watch his statements, I think it's it's what you get from it is a very conventional kind of viewpoint, which is which lacks moral clarity, which includes a lot of confusion. Um, to put it generously, because again, I always end up wondering to what extent do politicians like this when they're when they're saying some of these things completely believe them? And I I came away from watching him believing that he could plausibly believe that, and he it is actually a genuine case of confusion. That might be far too generous, and that might be wrong. But so he would say things like. Um, we need to act in a way that creates a solution where Israel, where the, where the US completely supports Israel's right to defend itself. And he said that he supports Israel's um, objective of destroying Hamas. But but as you say, then he the first thing that he said after that was, but we've always cared about how Israel does that. And if you look at the kind of fine print of what that means about how Israel does that, that means undermining a lot of um, the actions which Israel would take in order to 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 complete that objective, which then countenance is actually not supporting Israel in doing that. So there was a lot of confusion in that, I thought. And he kind of made those comments again, piggybacking off the comments made by the German foreign minister. And she was in a sense a bit more philosophical in in what she was saying. And she was saying basically, there are no black and whites. We need to get away from that kind of thinking. Uh, we need to recognize that there is what was the phrase she used? I wrote it down. It was something like legitimate security concerns on both sides, by which I think she meant kind of there's a moral case for both sides. So Israel needs to be able, so she she pied it off as Israel needs to be able to defend itself. And then on the other side, um, the Palestinians have a point as well. And we need to find a way to negotiate these two competing claims. And in a sense, we can't come to a perfect one side or the other. That's black and white thinking and so on. And that's when Blinken kind of made these comments and you can see he's he's trying to give legitimacy to both sides of the conflict except and so that so that might be coming from a kind of philosophical worldview that they have where that there can be no perfect solutions you've always going to have to weigh one claim off against another there is no such thing as perfection and so on um yeah and that, thing, and that that uh, yeah because yeah, what he brought up is one of the main points he brought up is we have to make sure no one demonizes Mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying to remember what exactly he, specifically he said. 
uh, I, I think just in general that we should uh, be careful with demonization and dehumanization. Uh, mm -hmm. Is that the word? Is that how you say dehumanization? De he said, I think he said dehumanization, yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, he also stated that uh, uh, Hamas doesn't represent the Palestinian people. And I'm wondering if, uh, if, if like Blinken and maybe just politicians in general really don't believe in sort of human agency almost. Because with all of these uh, conflicts, it's always, you know, it's the Hamas, it's the PLO, it's not the Palestinian people. And as long as you hold that position, uh, I, and he talked about the cycle of violence, as long as you hold this position, I yeah, this cycle of violence can never end. Because, you know, you get rid of Hamas, let's say you give the Palestinian people another election, and they'll most likely elect similar sort of uh, terrorist group, basically. And they'll claim again, this is not the representative of the Palestinian people. So what is? <laughs> yeah, so there was there was an interesting uh, thing I saw today, actually. Elon Levy, who's the Israeli government spokesperson, started a podcast, uh, which is still kind of just finding its feet. But he was talking, he was interviewing um, a PhD talking who specializes in the conflict, I think. And um, she had this phrase, which was a bit cringy, but had some interesting content, this phrase of West-splaining. And it was the idea that people in the West will hear things that are said by Hamas or by Palestinians, and then will sort of explain it back to the Israelis, what the, what the Palestinians really mean. So, um, and one of them was that um, no matter what is basically said by Palestinians, which, which kind of condemns them in the sense of is um, supporting the continuation of the cycle, or is that so is anti-Semitic or something like that. Um, there's kind of no end to which Western politicians won't hear that and then tell the Israelis that, no, you're misunderstanding them. What they really mean is the opposite or something like that. And that's something that goes on a tremendous amount, I think. And it's something that was going on in his comments there by saying that it's not representative of the Palestinian people. And I think there's just something about the conventional mindset, which I think perhaps, I'm not sure exactly what it is that motivates it. I think it's probably a desire to protect civilians and something like that is sacrosanct. So you could never recognize that actually an awful lot of the Palestinians by any metric of or any research that's been done supports conflict with Israel. Um, because if you did, I think you would feel like you were violating perhaps that moral belief that that civilians can never be impugned in some way. It's only the combatants. It's only the government. Maybe that's what it's being motivated by. I think that that's why you can never penetrate through to this kind of conventional mindset on that kind of issue. Yeah, I think there's definitely something very much deeply rooted, like philosophical belief. Because even, let's say, you want to do a two-state solution, you need some sort of representative of the Palestinian people that are recognized by the Palestinian people. You can't just, uh, I mean, currently even uh, Mahmoud Abbas in the West Bank is very unpopular. Uh, if, and I'm wondering if someone, if there was this sort of reformed Palestinian, you know, Palestinian authority with Mahmoud Abbas at the head, he is viewed as some sort of like, almost like an Israeli puppet from what I heard by the Palestinian people uh, because of his uh, somewhat moderate positions, I guess. Uh, so, and how can, it, it, like, again, like I said, 
if there was another election, they would probably elect something similar to Hamas, which would never go for any sort of two-state solutions, two-state solution. Or, you know, it would be the sort of two-state solution of, you know, infinite right of return. Uh, well, the, the, it would depend a lot. Or like, you know, pretty much Israel ha would have to completely pull out of West Bank, completely seize, uh, even pull out of Gaza, maybe give it even more. Uh, and if Israel would disagree with that, because it's obviously it's crazy, uh, then again, it's Israel that is seemed as the one who is refusing to, uh, you know, sort of end this conflict. But y you can only come to an agreement when both sides ha share some principle. And the least amount, the least possible principle would at least have to be we shouldn't try to genocide each other. And <laughs> I'm skeptic about the Palestinian side if they would ever agree to such a principle. Not at the moment, I think, certainly. And yeah, I think the principle would have to be um, we both agree we're not going to uh, use force with each other. We're going to negotiate any problems that we have. And, and that's a point that everyone is kind of making. And yet, um, and even someone like Blinken might even agree with that. And yet they, it never actually impactfully factors into the things that they end up saying or the positions they end up supporting. Um, I guess also something, a point I wanted to make earlier on and I, I didn't make, in a sense, part of the importance of looking at Blinken's comments here are not just because he's the US Secretary of State and that's an important person and um, we need to think about what he says, but in a sense, his position is almost more important, I think, in the context of the Biden government, basically because of Biden's mental infirmity. Um, because if you know the amount of it which, which we're seeing in public, imagine how much of it is actually going on behind the scenes. So presumably his ministers are going to be much more impactful in shaping US policy independently rather than in concert as a whole government, because in a sense, the, the keystone which holds the government together is going to be slightly more out of the picture than probably normally. Because um, if you think about how it's quite, an, uh, it's quite an abstract process of thinking through a nation's policy on a certain issue, and unless he's getting an immense amount of support from certain advisors and so on, given his increasing infirmity, um, it presumably is just going to be delegated to his ministers much, much more. So I, I just wanted to say that in terms of the importance of Blinken's comments. But another issue which I think touched on something kind of philosophical, um, again, came from the German foreign minister. And she was making comments, a sense of basically saying that suffering was at the root of this and kind of how she was looking at it was based on how much suffering there was. So she spoke about how awful October 7th was because of the amount of suffering that was produced. And then in a sense, suffering then has popped up on the other side, on the Palestinian side in response. And that I think was forming part of that standard for why there's legitimate moral claims on both sides, because she's judging it from a perspective of suffering. But it isn't even quite... Um, like a proper moral theory in the sense that when when suffering comes up in moral theories, you might think of something like utilitarianism. It's not quite like she's judging it. How can we reduce the most amount of suffering for the most people or something like that? It was even, I don't want to kind of just overly demonize someone I'm disagreeing with, but it was almost just much more perceptual. It was the way she was describing it. it was, there's suffering over here and, and that's not very nice. Therefore, on October 7th, she would have been very sympathetic towards Israel. And then the Israeli response has produced a lot of suffering on the Palestinian side. And that's not very nice. Therefore, she's against that. And that's, of course, a mindset which we've seen very much on Twitter, for example, when people are posting pictures of bombings and things like that. You get an immense amount of sympathy just by showing 
a lot of suffering. And that's, I think, is how a lot of people are thinking about this. And that's and that's something that's at the root of, of the way people are thinking about it. Yeah, and this sentiment of, yeah, you, sort of utilitarian, just focusing on suffering, it's not something new. I mean, I I hear about this a lot. I'm not sure to what extent it's true, but uh, from what I've heard, uh, apparently, like, Gandhi was advising the Jews uh, in Europe to basically... Uh, not fight back, just uh, surrender, because that would result in less suffering overall. Uh, and yeah, it's something like you really have to go deeply philosophical to like have such a view. Like it's really hard to, uh, especially as an individual, to uh, basically think about okay, I shouldn't fight back because. If I fight back, that person might go harder against me. So I should just submit to make sure I don't die in the fight of fighting back or something. Yeah, well, well, Gandhi, I guess, had a very articulated pacifistic kind of position. Um, and I know that he'd loved um, a certain poem by Percy Shelley called The Mask of Anarchy, which is basically a poem that advocates um, pacifistic resistance to government uh, tyranny. So if a government is oppressing you, you should do nothing because by them enacting violence on you, they will be so shamed they'll stop doing it is the kind of idea. Um, and I've, I've heard suggestions as well, yeah, that during the 1940s, his suggestion was that the Jews of Europe should commit mass suicide in the concentration camps in order to shame the Germans out of what they're doing. It, and I've never seen the original source of that, but if that suggestion really is true, then it's it's abominable, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so uh, just quickly on that point, and the worst thing is people uh, only use this sort of argument like against like actual dictatorships, while this sort of, uh, you know, peaceful resistance, l let's say, it's only going to work against people who actually value life. Like my mm -hmm. favorite, uh, and I'm going to bring up a video game. My favorite example of, uh, for this is from Detroit Become Human, where it's about like AI sort of uprising. And basically mm -hmm. you, one of your characters you play is this robot who realizes he has uh, volition basically. And you can lead a revolution or you can lead a demonstration, basically a peaceful demonstration. And I really like the peaceful demonstration because it shows it's not, uh, yeah, you really pull on the sort of heartstrings. You really pull on sort of the general people, uh, you know, seeing that sort of oppressing people who in this sense have uh, free will is wrong. And I think uh, the, the similar way is why the civil rights movement was uh, to some extent to a large extent peaceful and i think that's why it worked because it really if it was violent i don't think it or if it was like largely violent i don't think it would ever work because you know it sort of would just prove or some point about them or something like that but actually going on and showing like we deserve rights we are no different than you this is only going to work against uh like i said civilized government that's why it's so jarring when whenever people uh, recommend this strategy and it's always against uh the actual dictatorships who have no care for uh human value i mean even during this uh this talk there was a iranian 
uh, I think both activist and someone who actually fought against the uh, uh, in Iran. Uh, and yeah, you have to fight against this dictatorship. There is no other way. Yes, I mean, yeah, that's getting at the traditional divide in protest movements between moral force or um, physical force or direct action kind of responses. Yeah. Let me just quickly, because uh, James Valiant is in the chat and he mentioned Galt strike may be seen as a form of passive resistance. Uh, I, I think that would also make if uh, the strikers just try to do some sort of passive resistance and couldn't hide in the volley, I don't think it would work. That's why the only strategy that's basically worked was Ragnar when he actually took back what was his and gave or not his specifically but belonged to the different uh uh you to know different people. industrialists yeah. uh and a minor spoiler that's uh even when it comes to in uh, sort of intellectual property when it comes to the reardon metal that's why only he was able to sort of keep recognizing that such thing exists and uh, mm -hmm. uh yeah i think it yeah well i think even the if you if you do understand the strikers strategy being passive i think even there it does work in the context of the novel i think that's uh, well kind of the i whole point. i don't think it would work if they didn't have like a miracle volley where they could actually completely hide away um I mean, that's an interesting debate for another time, in a sense, because I think it, it, there's something to it, unpick there. But I I can see kind of what you're saying. Um, there was something else I wanted to say that's just slipped my mind about. So, but anyway, so people should go, I, th I think generally should go watch this um, interview. Skip the bits. The Indian foreign minister isn't very interesting, but watch the bits where it's the German foreign minister and then Blinken following up, because those are very revealing. And I think it's revealing for how they think about this. And, and as I said, I think what should stand out to people is... The difference between, for example, the position we're trying to articulate and the position which they're articulating, which they take is, I think, very obvious and kind of the norm. And well, and in a sense, it certainly is. And it's it's a conventional way of looking at this. And it's an it's an attitude where Blinken seems very earnestly trying to articulate a position where he wants to support Israel's right to defend itself and yet hold up the other side as well and hold these two com conflicting positions at the same time. And you obviously actually can't do that. But that that kind of thinking actually, I think, plausibly can explain why the US government, for example, or other Western governments come out with this very contradictory position where they'll say rhetorically, we support Israel, Israel should defend itself, Israel should eradicate Hamas, and yet they undermine them all the time. So this um, stage interview is a good way of getting to grasp if you're confused with why the US and UK governments, for example, or the German government, is pursuing the the policy decisions that they have done. So, do we have any super chats? Uh, I'm just putting the link to the to the talk in uh, in the in the live chat. We have a super chat from Bonnie. Uh, thank you so much. And those are all the super chats. Although Robert, uh, even in the uh, member chat, uh, reminds us there is a philosophy. Uh, philosophy forum coming up in about two minutes that's for iron rand center uk members of platinum level and above uh but there's still time if i'll see a new member i'll make sure to quickly send you uh, the discussion takes place in the zoom link so i'll quickly send you the questions and the zoom link and you can join us it goes for a couple of hours so there's still time fantastic very good 
Um, and we also have the reality show Extra, which is coming tomorrow uh, at 6 p.m. UK time, which is for YouTube channel members and for ARC UK members as well. Uh, so people should join us then. And we'll be back on Monday with our normal daily objective and reality show as well. But cool. So thank you so much for chatting with me, Daniel. Um, and, thank you, Morgan. And we'll see everyone tomorrow.